Welcome into another episode of ESPN's Aussie Hoops Hour. My name's Kane Pittman, and alongside me, Olga Nulic, who is packing his bags in Japan, and we're all very sad about this because tonight, just a couple of hours ago, the Boomers World Cup campaign wrapped up, and it wrapped up earlier than everyone hoped. Failing to reach a quarterfinal, the Boomers did finish on a high note with a 100-84 to win over Germany, and uh, on a night where I think Certainly offensively and maybe stylistically, there were some positives, even if uh, some fans, and perhaps me included, didn't see enough of the changes that we wanted to see in this final game. But we're going to break it all down. We've got Paris conversations to have. We've got uh, takeaways from this tournament to break down because I think there is a lot of conversations. And Olds, we were just about to get into a massive fight before we even started recording this podcast. And we said, let's save the good stuff for the show. Uh, so, Olds, how are you feeling, mate? Because... Your coverage has been absolutely outstanding. And I'm, I'm sure for you, uh, you didn't expect that you would be coming home at this point either. No, I didn't. I, I had to cancel a lot of uh, flights, hotels, that sort of thing. Um, no, it's uh, it's weird that it's coming to an end. It's sad because um, for those who who aren't like aware of what Okinawa is, it's it's been among the most comfortable international events that I've ever covered. Um, we are on like it's like it's a Hawaii type beach. Uh, we have an ocean. Like I look out onto the ocean. We have really good coffee right next door to us, and so it is the easiest thing to just walk out of the hotel, go get Australian level coffee, um, mingle with all the players. So basically, every player was staying in this hotel right across us. So you had you know the the Japanese fans crowding around this coffee shop when Luca walked in to get his coffee, when Franz Wagner walked in, when Josh Giddy walked in, when Patty Mills walked in. Um, and it was good coffee too, which was super helpful. Um, and it's just like a really like comfortable place to be. Uh, the Japanese people are super cool. Um, everyone's polite. The food, food and drink was great. Quality of everything. So like it, and the arena is amazing. The, the Okinawa arena is, it's, it's like, it's a purpose built basketball arena the the stands go super high so it's great to watch basketball this is as good an event as i've ever covered in and and this place is among the most enjoyable places i've been to cover international sports tournament um obviously we i would have been leaving here regardless of the boomers result uh it it, it is just sad that uh everyone all the australians are leaving here just on quite a sour note uh they obviously had expectations that were beyond the ultimate outcome um and you felt the the fire in the presser today as well which was really enjoyable to see and i feel like sets up a really really fun uh, next few months going into uh all the the, the kind of pointy end of, of the paris campaign and all that well i mentioned that you've been on fire over there and it has looked like a beautiful place i gotta get myself over to japan at so some nice. point i think for the boomers coming into this tournament uh, there should be no questions about the expectations they placed on themselves and uh, the hopes that they had to proceed to a semi-final and beyond. I think that's what they should come out and say. That's the confidence they should have with the talent they have on this roster. Uh, but if we go back to some of the podcasts we did pre-tournament, um, there were certainly concerns that we had. And I think as we continue to progress in, in, with the Boomers team and whatever this team looks like over the next four to six years... I think we have to understand that the world is getting stronger and we've just finished uh, some of the second round games uh, watching uh, in our hotel rooms and six of the final eight come from the Europe region and it's so far away. And we always talk about the Australian players that play in Europe and it feels like they're on 
uh, completely off the radar and it's difficult to keep up with what they're doing. But that is a seriously high level competition, whether it's EuroLeague and all the, the domestic leagues over that part of the world. So uh, Europe's still an absolute powerhouse in the national game. And I think that we found out that uh, whether it was Germany in that second group game or Slovenia in the second round, uh, Australia's got some work to do and it's not going to be easy. The World Cup is a gauntlet. 32 teams versus only 12 mm. in the Olympics. Uh, that's also worth mentioning. Uh, this is an incredibly hard tournament. We saw Team USA lose just a few hours ago. There's been some crazy results in this tournament so far. Yes, uh, Team USA lost. Spain is out eliminated. before the final eight. Uh, France got eliminated in the first round. Yep. Uh, this is uh, Australia is out. This is like Australia, Spain, uh, and France would have been in sort of my tier one of teams who could win it all. That if, if it got to a, the semifinals, any of those teams could have gone through and won it. And the fact that all three of those teams are out before we even hit the quarterfinals is wild. Um, again, it points to, just, I think, just like the parity of, of talent across world basketball. Um, but also, and the thing that I think we keep learning, and this has been something we've learned uh, over like the past decade, uh, which is doesn't matter how many NBA players you have on your team. Uh, it sort of it matters uh, how kind of organized your team is uh, and how how well the pieces play together um and if you just have really if you you just have talented pieces that fit in the system that you're buying into then you can have success and we've seen that across the board throughout this world cup we've seen over the past few years in international basketball um and there, there are two things a few podcasts ago uh when i had brian windhorst on here he, he said that he mentioned the word transitional, and it's something that I haven't forgotten uh, since this tournament began. Uh, that's what this Boomers uh, campaign has felt like, as though everyone is just trying to figure out what works with this new group of basically uh, Giddy, Green, and the young guys among the sort of older veterans and just seeing this, the stuff that works and leaning into that as you go to Paris. That was the transition. Uh, qualifying for Paris was sort of step one and they did that, which is great. Um, but now it's just figuring out, all right, which direction are we going to lean into? What, what, How do we actually want to approach this now that we have an idea of what this talent looks like on the international stage? Um, that was one. And then the other one is um, so many teams around world basketball have such good bigs. Uh, and that was a clear issue for Australia, I think, in this one. And we saw how good the bigs were in Spain's game against Canada, in Lithuania's game against uh, the USA, these these bigs are just so big, they're so skilled, and I think no Jock Landale. It's so easy just to let that fly by, but that was so important for this team. Um, if he's on this team, maybe the Boomers get to the quarterfinals and maybe they bow out, maybe they get to the semis, but again, I feel like, he, yeah, he's a starter, He's we know how important he is, but it, it still is sort of forgotten by the wayside just how important someone like Jock Landau was to the, the expectations of this team. So you wrote a story after the loss to Slovenia and everyone should go to ESPN.com.au and check it out. Boomers at a crossroads after World Cup loss to Slovenia. So uh, we mentioned this in the pregame broadcast and and this is the perfect platform to get into it because I thought you were, you were, you were strong. It was a fun read because I do think that we are in a situation where uh, the Boomers aren't a team and a program that has to avoid criticism or has to avoid the hard questions. This is a team that has loaded with NBA talent. They've got to the, they've always been a team that's around that semifinal mark. So when you don't get there, I think the hard questions need to be asked. 
So I want to dive into that idea because I personally don't know what is going to change in terms of the personnel between now and 10 months time when you're going into training camp between Paris. It's such a quick turnaround. So the transition idea is absolutely right. But I think you're probably more looking at the 2027 World Cup, 2028 Olympics when everything is turned over. I, I think that you're still going to have a largely similar squad in Paris. Just because I don't think that when we had conversations and anyone had conversations leading into this tournament, we weren't really looking and saying, gee, player X is incredibly unlucky to be there. It was pretty clear cut. We had 13 out of the 12 guys. So that's why I just don't think that there's going to be major changes. There's a couple of names uh, that we'll at least touch on because we did on the broadcast as well. And it's got people talking because I think that the passion towards this Boomers team and the thoughts and the theories and the ideas, uh, first of all, shows how popular the game has become in Australia. And I think it's great for this team that we are having conversations about NBA guys potentially missing out on, on a Paris Olympics. So we're going to dive into all that. The one thing I just quickly wanted to do, a couple of positives from tonight's game, and then we'll move fully on uh, to the future. In that article... I that just you want wrote, you to tell me where my story was wrong. I want you I want you to... I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for you to pick it apart, Kane. Yeah, I will. Uh, so when we, uh, we <laughs> looked at tonight uh, with the, uh, the positives... And in that article, the thing that you're absolutely spot on about was you said, well, there's four locks for Paris and there's Paddy Mills, Josh Giddy, Jock Landau, Josh Green. Look, I think Dante Exum is one of them as well. Oh, it's, he was awesome again tonight. You've got to feel so good for this guy that everything that he's been through, Tokyo Olympics, I thought he was superb. And again, throughout this tournament, he proved himself to be a trusted player under Brian Gorgian. And when there was turnovers absolutely left, right and center in the first quarter, Dante Exum was the guy that came into the game his first seven minutes on the floor, eight assists, uh, sorry, eight points, two assists, and zero turnovers when the whole team had 11 in the first half. He was awesome. So Dante Exum, for me, is absolutely a lock for Paris. And again tonight, uh, probably his best game for the tournament to finish with 18 points. He knocks down three or five uh, from long range and uh, four assists in the end as well. So if we're talking about positives, I thought Dante was a big one. I think so too. And when we speak about our, our who we think should be going to Paris. I, th I think both of us will have uh, pretty good, solid wraps for Dante. Um, and and when, when, I, when I say there are four locks, I feel like if, if, we're, if we're putting these locks in tiers, like th those four that I listed, what, Giddy, Mills, Landale, uh, who's, the, who's the other one? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, Green. Did I say? Yeah. Um, they're, they're the ones who I think are sort of foundational to what this team has to be. I think they're just like the the main kind of pillars that you're sort of building on. Um, everyone else, I just, for me, it's more the sentiment of everyone's got to work for this shit, right? That's that's the way I see it. Um, and wow, uh, I, I saw I saw you rec physically recoil. Um, and and it's just I it's I feel like I feel like it's just the sentiment this team has to have. Um, that you they're, they're coming off a, a result that is not not just less than ideal. But they didn't make it into the quarters. This is this is a very disappointing outcome. And so you need to respond with some level of force and aggression. And I feel like this is the kind of thing. So all these guys who we thought were locks, and granted, yes, you and I, basically the team that ended up coming to the World Cup is the team that you and I largely chose. There, there were no surprises uh, going into the selection or, or based on the selection of this team. Um, and, and I feel like going into the next camp, it has to be, all right, like, let's just strip everything back. We have some pillars here. 
we, we, Gorgon seems set on the style of play he wants. This was sort of the testing ground where he can see what he wanted. He's seen Giddy in this environment. He's seen a bunch of guys here. All right, now we have a style of play. We have some pillars. And now let's go forward and, and, and let's pick and, and let's let's do this process properly. That was more my feel on it. Uh, but I agree that Dante was great. Um, and on your the first thing, I agree. This, this is a program that... Uh, has extremely high standards that it has set for himself itself. Uh, its success has led to those standards. Uh, so there should be an expectation of accountability. Um, and if that just means uh, one of us just writing a little old story or saying some words on TV, so be it. Um, and, and look, credit to, to Gorge. He, he, he clearly seemed uh, sort of taken aback by the, the, I think maybe the, the extent of the criticism, um, but he seemed to largely respect it and just disagree. Which is also completely fine because he has his opinion as well. Won't be the first or last time someone disagree with us, including by the time this podcast is done, <laughs> let's be clear. Uh, but again, if you haven't read this story, go back uh, and check it out. I've got a quote that I want to read because we did uh, put bring it up on the pregame show. Uh, we're going to talk about Josh Giddy throughout this. So, uh, you know, uh, overwhelmingly the positive for the Boomers in this tournament. Josh Giddy as a scorer in particular was just absolutely awesome. 26 for 37 from two-point range over the last three games, 70%. And it was the physicality and he was way to uh, score with the floater or get really physical and get right to the rack. Even at a turnaround mid-range looking like Dirk tonight, it was awesome to start this game. So Josh Giddy, (laughs) unbelievable. Uh, You know, Brian Gorgian said, starting this tournament, he's going to have the keys. Even with that being said, I'm not sure that you would have looked at this tournament uh, to begin with, and said that Josh Giddy would lead the team in scoring, lead the team in free throw attempts, assists. You probably would have bought that. Uh, but just it, the statistical dominance from Josh Giddy in the Australian team uh, is awesome for not only Australian fans, but if you uh, do have a partial uh, allegiance to the Oklahoma City Thunder, you're probably pretty excited about what we could see <laughs> in year three because it appears that he's ready to take yet another step uh, as he moves on in his career. The quote that I want to read out and just just clarify a few of your thoughts uh, is the, uh, from your article where you said legacy picks can't exist and any boys club that exists has to be thrown out the window. This has to start from scratch to an extent. The program is trying to create an identity with the debris of one that already exists. The building of how the boomers needs to operate has to be with new parts or with the functionality of those older parts being rejigged. So the last sentence might be the key here. But when you talk about uh, legacy picks, and the reason why when we brought it up in the broadcast, I said, I'm just not 100% sure what this means is because of the quick turnaround to Paris. So clearly leading into the major tournaments after Paris, it's going to happen naturally. But for the next 10 months, when you talk about legacy picks, uh, who exactly are you talking about? Because Patty Mills is clearly going to be there. Uh, So what do you mean when you say legacy picks can't exist? So I'll make this clear. I think Patty Mills will be there. I think Joe Ingles will be there. Uh, I think the last sentence of that paragraph is the key Mm -hmm. uh, in the sense of uh, the roles, the respective roles of these guys, I think has to change. Uh, If you, uh, if you, Gorgian made it clear today, there is a style of play that he wants to exist in. Uh, He wants that to be run through Josh Giddy and, and the team's athletes. Uh, He said he wants shooters. He wants, he wants more bigs. I think that just means he wants Landau and Reith. Um, (laughs) But we all, but oh yeah, my goodness. But when it comes to well, quote unquote legacy picks, for me, it's more the the roles of those guys have to change. I I think Patty Mills 
well, I my guess is he'll end up coming off the bench in Paris. That is my guess. Uh, purely because if Gorge wants to lean into this uh, big, athletic, switchy lineup, Paddy Mills respectfully can't do that in a sustainable way over the course of a 40-minute game. Him as a gunner off the bench, I think is something that the boomers have to sort of, you know, bite the bullet and do. And Gorge said it today, that he's already had to do some nasty stuff. That Those were the words he used. And I, I assume he meant making... Uh, cutting Aaron, Aaron Baines from this camp, cutting Matthew Delvadova from the team. Uh, he has to make these tough decisions in basically saying to these guys who have been prominent in the program for so long, hey, it's your time to step aside and take on a different role because it's time for these guys to step up and shine. That is what I feel like has to happen. Uh, and I, and I, I also trust that it will happen because we've already seen sort of the process begin with some of those other guys. Um, and and it's basically the sentiment of none of this is given. Everything has to sort of be earned. You don't just get to have something for reputation's sake. And and that is everyone from Paddy and Joe to Nick Kay, who's been a consistent starter for this team, but I thought was just largely just fine in this tournament. Uh, he has to, these guys have to earn their spots. Matisse Thibel was great in Tokyo. I thought he was largely bad in this tournament. He can't just live off the reputation of what he did in Tokyo. He has to re-earn this spot because he because you have to you have to treat people based on the most recent evidence you've been given. It also comes to Ben Simmons. Most people are just throwing Ben Simmons back into a starting lineup. He's just started playing two on two basketball. His last twelve months of basketball better than Xavier Cooks's last twelve months of basketball. And some of the cool glimpses we saw of Xavier Cooks in this tournament, I don't think so. I don't think you automatically put Ben Simmons over Xavier Cooks in a rotation. So it's it's these things. You guys have to prove what they are now in order in order for Brian Gorgian to make these decisions. Um, that's what I meant by all this. These these roles need to be rejigged based on who these people are now, based on not 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 based on what they are reputationally. So I think we did see some of that. So I've certainly seen some thoughts or feelings that Paddy Mills didn't have a good tournament. I think that we have to acknowledge that it was a, a completely different situation for him, and it's on a short turnaround. And it wasn't going to be easy. I think, if anything, if I was going to criticize Paddy Mills, it was just the fact that at times he looked a little too hesitant to shoot because it's not like Paddy Mills at the Tokyo Olympics where he's putting up 23 shots a night and he was the only guy. He was willing to facilitate. He had nine a nine-assist game tonight. Him and Josh Giddy actually combined on a nice couple of baskets together. So I think that there is some promise there. Overall, Paddy Mills led the team in plus-minus, which tells you that he wasn't some kind of black hole that was letting this team down when he was on the floor. He was still an absolute major piece. He got hot in a few stretches. He didn't have a four-quarter game where he went absolutely crazy and had the 30-plus point performance. But I still think, based on what we saw tonight, and it was only Georgia, but that's why I thought tonight we saw a different Boomers team where they were more willing to shoot the threes, which they got to be able to do. They did not shoot anywhere near enough threes in this game. They were far too hesitant. They passed up far too many good looks. And I thought Patty Mills was a part of that at times. And so was Joe Ingles. So I think for Mills and Ingles, I've got them both in the team going to Paris as well. I think they're critical because of the skill set. They were the two leading three-point shooters from volume again. And maybe they didn't shoot enough. I thought tonight we saw Joe Ingles situate himself in the corner at times, get himself more involved and be more willing to be a scorer. I think Trev Gleason made a pretty good point. 
Joe Ingles has been a point guard. Even last year in the NBA, he earned himself a $20-plus million contract being basically the point guard for the Milwaukee Bucks coming off the bench and running the entire offense. Now you've got him out on the floor, and it's either Josh Giddy out there, who's running the show, rightfully so, or coming off the bench, it's Dante Exum. And Joe Ingles is playing a role that, quite honestly, he's never, ever had to play. So I think any criticism of Mills and Ingles is, is significantly premature. I think that they're both going to be there in Paris. And because of the skill sets and their ability to shoot from the outside, I think they're desperately needed. Now, if Patty Mills goes to the bench, I don't know. I, I disagree with you. You know that because I don't think you got anywhere near enough shooting. You can talk about Exum knocking down shots, Giddy showing a little more confidence from the outside. But I, I don't think there's enough shooting in the starting lineup. I still think Patty has to start. But that's, at this point in time, semantics. We're talking 10 months down the road. But I think we did see progress with these guys. Now, whether or not they're happy about the changing role, that's a completely different conversation <laughs> to be had. I'm not in the locker room. But I think uh, that's why I wanted to question the legacy pick stuff because I still think for at least next year's Olympics, they're going to be very important. So Joe said something in the post-game presser that one of the reasons why he feels he, he felt slightly uncomfortable uncomfortable was Jock Landale got injured. It forced Joe Ingles to play a bit more four, uh-huh. um, and especially guarding fours. And it's just not something he's completely comfortable with or just hasn't done that much of. Yep. Um, the one thing where I disagree is the idea of uh, Joe Ingles playing, well, like point forward or whatever you want to call it in the NBA, and he's been doing that for forever, uh, and then coming to international ball and having to play a different role. Well, so does everybody, uh, and 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 that's I feel like that's the point where he, does, he, has, but he, to, hasn't done he has to do what. So to so yeah, to expect he that he's going to walk he has in to do and what click his fingers. Needs, though. I agree with you. So that that so I think that it will have to rejig. But what I'm saying is I think he'll be better for this tournament because I think the longer it went on, the shots didn't always fall. But I thought that he looked more comfortable and he looked really important for this team. And to me, he was still a positive player. But I think he'll be better for the run. I don't think that this is a tournament where I'll walk away and say, well, Joe Ingles is washed. He can't be in this team. I think he's going to be important. And I think that he will learn a lot himself as well i just don't think we can sit here and say he should have clicked his fingers and straight away been excelling in a role that he hasn't had to play for australia before i just i just feel like it joe ingles is too smart a player to not realize uh that he has to be shooting more more threes the amount of wide open looks he got that he would just turn down he'd pump fake and and try to reset an offense look who you're on the floor with if you're on the floor with josh giddy your your job is to widen the floor for him uh, you know, you know where your bread is buttered. You know what, what the most effective offensive uh, like situation for this team is, and that's Josh Giddy with the ball in his hand. In order for him to be effective, in order for him to maximize you guys, so you can maximize him, is for you to widen the floor. And if you're not shooting the ball, then then what are you doing out there? Because the, the other problem, and this is the same with Patty Mills as well. I don't want Patty Mills putting the ball on the floor that much. I want him, I want him to be a gunner. That's that's what his skill set is. That's what that's the thing he brings to this team that not many other people on this team bring. The the issue with with those two not 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 sort of like leaning into the role that I think would not just make them look great, but obviously help the overall success of the team is that I don't know how sustainable both of those guys are defensively. Um, and I think that's a big issue, especially if you're going to play super switchy. I think Joe's body looked a step back this campaign, and I think Patty Mills was like largely below average defensively throughout this entire tournament. And so in order for, for those guys to stay on the floor, like th- there should be no situation. And this happened in the Germany game. Uh, Joe Ingles played more minutes than Josh Green. I don't think there's a world 
that can exist where that happens again. Um, if I don't know how you're not leaning into Josh Green, who's a 40 plus percent three point shooter in the NBA and 40 percent three point shooter in FIBA ball, uh, who is an elite defender, especially on the ball, and playing Joe Ingles more minutes than him. These sorts of things can't happen going forward. When I, when I say a rejig of these guys' role, that's exactly what I mean. Other guys have to step up, and and these other guys, their roles have to be diminished, and they have to be super specialized with what they do. I think that's that's the difference that the coaching staff has to make here. So Which is why when we when we talk about our Paris teams, my, my team is largely unchanged. It's literally just a shift in roles, and I think that that would ultimately help stylistically this team move forward. We uh, so just to wrap up that point, I think ultimately we agree in terms of what is going to be better for this team. I just wanted to absolutely clarify and make yeah. clear that I still think that they're very important for this team, and I don't necessarily think you disagree. And I do think. That again tonight, and it's only Georgia, and it's a game where Australia's going home, so it's hard to get excited about it. But we did see Patty Mills yeah. curling around screens and playing off the ball and and letting it fly from the outside. We saw Joe Ingles get a couple of shots from the corner and knock them down and stare down his opponent. Today like was we've great. Seen for years. Today's game was terrific. So I think this that's is what the, the thing has to be. Exactly. Yeah, we agree with that. Olgs. I thought I disagreed with you. I and think I still we would agree. Like to maybe say. we maybe we disagree with the extent of it. it yes. Maybe maybe I think that the the shift should happen in a more intense way. And and I reckon that's maybe our disagreement. But I think largely, just like on the general point, I think we have a slight agreement. Slight agreement. We'll go with that. And yeah, to the extent, I don't think it needs to be <laughs> as drastic as you're talking because I, I do think that we saw it shift throughout the tournament in terms of specifically the Giddy stuff. I mean, he's the guy right now and his uh, performance throughout this tournament. We'll go to Paris and coming into this tournament, we still were like, okay, well, it's going to be Giddy. He's out there. Let's see what he can do. He's awesome. He's a potential all-star next year in the NBA. But the last time we saw the Boomers, we saw Patty Mills, 42 points, being just an absolute superstar as we have forever. So I think it was still a question mark. Now we walk away from this and say, okay, well, Giddy in the fourth quarter continually stepped up. He was the guy against Slovenia that said, fellas, get on the back. I'm taking you to the quarterfinals. Unfortunately, yep. uh, it didn't happen. So that's the exciting stuff. Let's talk defense, though. Because... When I think about the problems defensively for this team throughout this tournament, and I just have not been able to shake the start of the fourth quarter against Germany. And so you've mentioned the switching defense a lot. Now, I agree. If you're going to have Xavier Cooks at the five, that's the idea. You've got flexible guys. You can get Xavier Cooks out to the perimeter. We saw him guarding Dennis Schroeder a couple of times and doing a decent job. But you can only do that if you've got the appropriate lineup on the floor. And I just thought the Boomers defensively, for all the individual talent they've got, they seem to be allowing the opposition to be far too comfortable on the offensive end. They seemed a little bit disorganized. At times, they looked like they would, would completely disengage from each other on the defensive end. So again, maybe this will be something that they'll learn from moving forward. But I, I thought defensively coming into this tournament, this could be the best defensive team in the World Cup. And at times, you know, it, it was ridiculous. You go to, to the Slovenia game, and the shot disparity was just outrageous. 62% of Slovenia's shots came from the three-point line, which is just an unbelievably high volume. And because they were shooting so many threes, the Boomers' defense was just nowhere to be found. And then they were able to score 70-plus percent in two-point range, and they just did whatever the heck they wanted in a game that the Boomers had to win. So I don't know how much of that is on coaching. I don't know how much of that is unfamiliarity with these young players playing alongside each other. You hope that they're better for it, but I just thought they were disorganized. And some of that has to come on the coach, Olgs. Let's be honest. 
Yeah, no, I don't disagree. Uh, I think the the Slovenia game, especially, I think it was largely coaching. Um, there were man, I was go. I re- when I rewatched that game, uh, they would throw a double at Luca before he even crossed half, the half court line, and all of a sudden, and I, I mentioned this in my piece to camera a few days ago. You have like a solid team of skilled players and legitimate shooters and a good enough big in Mike Toby playing four and three against you guys because you decide to throw a double at, at Luka Doncic at the opposite three-point line. Um, that, that's not sustainable. You can't do that against like a legitimate professional team. Um, yes, some some of those coverages are really weird. Um, and, and I agree with you that the potential of, of this team as like a switching unit exists when that small ball unit is out there. But there was there seemed to be like an insistence to continue switching even when it was Duop Reith out there and even when it was Nick K out there. Yeah. And I just don't think that works in any way. And the, the Duop Reith one is confusing to me because I thought he was largely good on both ends in this tournament. Yeah. And his lack of minutes because of I don't know what, just a just a, a weird insistence to try to play small ball, um, even without small ball pieces. Um, meant that Duop Reith had to take a seat. But I thought he was like actually quite good on both ends. Um, and him as like a defender just in drops, I thought was was completely fine. Um, and then I think it's coaching as well when you have Josh Green on your team, who is an elite point of attack defender. You have Matisse Thibel, who can be a bit erratic defensively, but is obviously an elite defender in his own right. So why are you not just trusting these guys to guard Luca? And make it really, really tough, as opposed to letting a talented team do what they want against you. And like that—that that was like the main criticism of the Slovenia game. Um, but yeah, there were these sorts of issues all tournament long. That like that switching, that switching happened in the Germany game, and they just continued to go to it for that Slovenia game. And it was, it was slightly baffling. And so that that there there is legitimate criticism against the coaching staff. It's it's annoying because I, I, if I was one of the players, I'd almost be annoyed because that made these players look perhaps worse than they are. I got stung by a wasp the other day, Alex. Uh, <laughs> okay, I don't know why you're laughing, first of all, but it was the first time in my life I've got stung by a I bee. Just, or... just, it just came out of nowhere. Well, uh, you can probably see it on the Zoom call. It's still a little uh, red there. No one else can see it. So it's oh, it's terrible, red. It's quite red. Terrible podcasting, but stung by a bee or a wasp for the first time. And I learned a lesson from that. I'm not going to allow it to happen in the same circumstances again. And... As I was watching the Boomers' defense at times, I was like, how are you getting beat the same way over and over and over again? And I think that, yeah, it's particularly, the again, the 10-0 run against the Germany game was just switching. Germany knew what they wanted to do. They knew who they wanted to get in isolation. It was Nick Kay in that instance. And I thought Nick Kay defended pretty well in that stretch. I've said that before. But I don't think he was put in a position to succeed. So that'll be something to to walk away from. I'm a little surprised just with the... With the uh, ferocity of the social media feedback on, on Brian Gorge. And it's uh, because he's been such mm. a love figure in basketball. It surprised me a little bit. Uh, it seems like he's absolutely uh, wanting to be a part of the Paris campaign next year. I would like to think that you know, certainly he's learned a lot from this campaign as well with a whole bunch of new guys. Did you get the sense that he was feeling any pressure by the end of this tournament? Because I did find it fascinating after the Slovenia game where he was kind of not as committal. And he said, well, whatever's best for the program is fine. But then he did say, look, basically, if it's not me and Maddie Nielsen, Adam Caporn, David Patrick, we'll be doing the same things. This is the program. We've set it up. And I thought that was an interesting quote. Yeah, so 
it's been like a it's been a weird progression of of words from Brian Gorgian. In when I interviewed him uh, for ESPN about a month before the World Cup started, uh, he he was he wasn't standoffish about the question. Uh, when I asked what what are the plans, because the, the ostensibly his contract was going to end through the World uh, after the World Cup, so the question had to be asked. Um, and he said. Uh, I'll do whatever's best for the country, but we do have an, an obvious like progression. We have a succession situation in line and great. Um, and then he said what he said after the Slovenia game. And then after this game, it was 100%, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Then Joe Ingalls chimed in with he'd better. Um, yeah. I would put it at like 90% that he returns. It's more than likely he returns. Um, I'm sure that there'll be meetings and whatnot. And, you know, is it, does, is is this is it the sense that and I don't know the answer to this is it the sense that Brian Gorgian gets sort of the end of this four year cycle which yep. would be sort of the the Tokyo this World Cup Paris um and then the succession happens uh, the the feeling has always been that Matt Nielsen is next up um like I think I think there should be a legitimate conversation about it I, I don't know if it should just be handed to somebody uh, but Matt Nielsen exists Adam Caporn exists. Maybe a, maybe a flyer comes in and it sort of takes over, and that that assistant coaching stuff stays the same. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like so. Yes, he did feel pressure uh, throughout this tournament. You could tell that he he felt like the pressure of the country, of like, look at all of this talent. I have to make this work. Um, and and we you saw that in his press conferences after, uh, tonight when he clearly watched Trevor Gleason on the ESPN broadcast. And he had some criticisms for for Trev. Uh, he read all of our stories. Uh, he quoted that story that you, that you were reading of mine almost like word for word at one point. Um, and so he's he's reading everything. He's absorbing all of it. He doesn't he doesn't agree with everything. But it seems like he's taking it in stride. And and it's this is I can't stress how important this next ten months is going to be for Brian Gordon. Um, and and again, that's my opinion based on. You know, you you you've read the the story that I wrote. I, I think they're just tough decisions that are going to be made, and I think it'll be an interesting challenge for Gorgon, uh, whether he continues to make a lot of these tough decisions. He's shown that he can continue. He's shown that he can make them. Whether he continues to make them, and these are going to be the tougher decisions. I'm I'm so intrigued. And of course, the Bay Area Dragons, his team in the East Asia, East Asia mm. Super League, no longer in existence. So, uh, you know, Gorge referenced that in a post game. Uh, I've got the next nine months. I'm going to watch plenty of NBL. He'll probably be around Australia during that time. I'm sure he'll take a trip to the US and see some of the NBA guys as well. So, I would agree. I think he's going to be there. Uh, and it does. Uh, I don't think Australia is in a position, and they're certainly not thinking this again. What did they learn from this tournament? But it's most likely. The last time Patty Mills and Joe Ingles are with the squad, 2027 is a fair way away. They'll be late 30s by that point in time. So I think that's a safe assumption to make. And with the Gorgian run, with Patty Mills, Joe Ingles, that will absolutely feel like a little bit of an end of an era, I believe, if I'm forecasting ahead uh, to the end of the mm. Olympics. So I expect Gorgian will be there. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, and this is because I've got a little bit of feedback on social media as we go back and forth, and based on there was a 12-man squad that, that Trev put uh, for the Paris Olympics. And we can get was into... There? Did, did, was that a squad that was released publicly that people are talking about? A little bit. We love it. We love it. It's just, <laughs> people are talking about basketball, Oggs. We love it. And 
uh, I saw some comments and got into some interactions with uh, some basketball fans who say, well, the offense isn't the problem for the Boomers. Uh, I disagree with that. I don't think that you should look at scoring 109 points against Japan, scoring 100 points against Georgia and 98 against Finland and go, wow, this is an offensive juggernaut and look at the overall tournament numbers. I don't think that's a, a very wise way to look at it because we are in a position where it doesn't matter if you beat Japan and you put up 110 points on them. What is that going to help you when you play Slovenia and you can only manage 80 and Germany and you can only manage 82 and you have significant stretches through games where in the half court, you don't really have a guy uh, from the perimeter. Paddy Mills has obviously been there. But again, projecting forward, who's the next guy that comes in? I think the Boomers severely lack shooting in this team. The Chris Golding stuff, and you were on the ground, Oggs. I, I said this on the pregame. He can't have been helped. He had that knee knock in the warm-up games. I know that he's out there and then he plays garbage minutes, so you have to assume that he is healthy. But what is going on? Why aren't you playing him on a team that severely needs shooting? And then in the post-game press conference, Gorch says, well, we need shooters moving forward. Yeah, obviously. Like, where are the shooters (laughs) going to come from, though? I was was confused as well. Uh, I would... Chris and I would get coffee roughly around the same time every morning. I'd I'd see him every day. He'd be the first one out there warming up before games. Uh, he, He looked fine he looked healthy uh him not playing was one of the more confusing things uh that happened because because you got to think think of the georgia game the warm-up game against georgia he had 13 points hit a bunch of threes uh that was their final warm-up game here in okinawa before they started this tournament and so it, it baffled me especially because of so many of these games or so many moments in these games where you just wanted like you just wanted a no leave shooter out there just to stand in the corner and widen the floor. And when you when you saw how they were uh you saw the results against Germany and against Slovenia especially, Slovenia just having just a ton of just talented Euro level shooters. And it's like Chris Golden can guard a bunch of those and he could be one of those on the other end. Like it, it just Australia missed a version of that. And I think it was Golding. Um and so yeah him not playing is is very baffling and I don't I don't know why. And unfortunately we we only get like a, a certain amount of time in a press conference. Yeah. And so we had to ask sort of the most pertinent questions we could. And when we ultimately weren't able to get to that one at the end. Um, but it is something that I like I feel like is worth digging into beyond this because it, it was sort of baffling. And the only reason I, I asked the question so strongly is because if we go back to the warm-up games, Goldie was one of those guys, along with Josh Green, that uh, Brian mentioned in the, the top eight in the rotation. So yeah. all indications were that he was going to play. So I, I don't understand as the tournament went on, the boomers were ranked 25th for three point attempts per game leading into the game against Georgia. And then they let it fly a little bit, which was fun to see in the last game and probably climb those uh, rankings a little bit. Uh, look, we'll, we'll talk about Ben Simmons a lot over the next uh, 10 months. I'm sure it, it's August, <laughs> September. This is around the time where we get some quotes. It happens every single year. I think we just need to see him play before he becomes a guy that is really in the conversation. And I don't say that to be smart. That's just the reality. He needs to play. He played around half a season last year. Didn't really look like Ben Simmons. I think if he is someone that puts his hand up to play, I think he's definitely in the squad, to be clear, if he's healthy and he looks like Ben Simmons Mm -hmm. this NBA season. But if you do bring Ben Simmons into the squad, I do think, again, that you're asking questions about the skill sets and the types of players you have in this squad. 
Dyson Daniels, I would have loved to see him play more tonight, specifically against Georgia. And he comes in with three minutes to go in the game. And first possession, he puts the ball on the floor, spin move, beautiful dump off pass. And you're just like, man, dump this off. guy, yeah. this guy's got some stuff. Another year in the NBA. So I think Dyson Daniels next year in Paris can be a guy that's in the rotation. And then you have some significant crossover skill sets. You already mentioned Matisse Thibel. I love the passion for Matisse Thibel all over social. And again, this came down to the Bryce Cotton conversation again. I'm someone who thinks this team desperately needs more outside shooting and scoring for next year in Paris. I think it's a major concern in the half court. And I think sometimes from the perimeter, you just need a guy that can get an outside shot. Now, based on what we've seen over the last three, four years, I don't think Bryce Cotton's going to be there because there's no indication that this is going to get done. But I think if you had him, someone who can work off the ball, and he's done it for years and years and years, and is a primetime scorer. I know you've mentioned the defensive stuff, but imagine him on the floor, and then maybe a Chris Golden or a DJ Vasiljevic, another knockdown shooter. Your spacing is unlike anything we saw in this tournament. And if you have Ben Simmons, who is one of the best three-point assist men in the NBA, has been previously, and Josh Giddy, who is an absolute <laughs> wizard with the ball in his hands, your the dynamic nature of this offense is completely different. So again, I don't think Bryce Cotton's going to be there. But I do think with the crossover skill set and the emergence of Dyson Daniels, which I fully expect he can do more offensively, that's without question. I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to watch that position with Matisse Stiebel if Ben Simmons comes in. It's, I think it's a watch. Yeah. Um, I almost want to do like a 2027 team instead uh, because the, the prospect of adding the skill set of Tyrese Proctor and maybe the skill set yes. of an Alex Tui. That's right. To to this group, it's just it's 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 weird. Like all of these, every generation is sort of adding a set of skills that the previous one lacked. Uh, I imagine this group with with Bogut and and Baines like at, in their prime, and then imagine imagine that this group with Patty in his prime and Joe in his prime, and then you fast forward a bit, and wouldn't it be cool if that Tokyo team had a whatever Tyrese Proctor and and, and Josh Giddy and, and and Josh Green and whatever two is going to be is there's a lot going on and imagine if this one had Rocco in five years like that'll be cool so the 2027 is going to be cool uh I, I Rocco like will be seven foot eight on... by 2028 by the way true still growing. true I like how standoffish you are on uh any Ben Simmons news that happens prior to like the October one uh <laughs> A, a video of Ben Simmons, an interview. Hey, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens. Um, so that's fun. Uh, I forgot your question. No, so we're, if we're talking, what was your question? So I, I, I just, I, I, so yeah, as per usual, well, it's the Matisse Stiebel situation uh, with the skill set crossover. Is Dyson Daniels going to be ready to be a key rotation player next year? Because I think if if Dyson Daniels is, yeah. then then he he can play that role. He's already been a guy with the Pelicans that was trusted as a rookie to defend some of the best players yeah. in the NBA. So, Thibel, uh, always going to be a legend in Australia. And let's face it, just an incredibly likable guy. But I think with the skill set yeah. crossover, the need for more shooters, perhaps you have two genuine centers in this team. It's, it's, I think it's going to be a talking point in around nine months' time. Yeah, it will be. And I, 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 I don't know if I'm wrong. I might be wrong here, but did Trev says, say something on the broadcast about Bryce, about him not being too confident that Bryce was going to be naturalized by then because the papers aren't even in or something like yeah, that yeah um so that's just unfortunate not not just not for 
the prospect of him playing in, in a World Cup or an Olympics, but also just him playing in it like an, a FIBA Asia Cup or, or any yeah. qualifying games. He'd be a really cool piece for for those teams. Um, I, I just feel like it's not completely defensively, uh, but I think a lot of it is defensively, where you already have someone who is offensively talented as a as an off ball guy as a shooter who I think is suspect defensively at this point in, in his career in Patty Mills. And that's that's the version of that you're that you're leaning into. If you add another one of those who is someone who is undersized and I think an average to below average defender and yes, unbelievably talented offensively. Uh but I just think it's just a a piece that you, you're adding that just takes away enough on the other end that just makes it makes it kind of difficult. Um, that's my feel on Bryce as much as Matisse's skill set, I think just is a bit clunky on this team. And I think we can all agree with that. Um, again, that's where for me it's, and it's, it's weird that my team is largely the same. Yeah. Uh, it's just roles are rejigged. So like, I think Matisse's role is reduced significantly in, in almost the way it was in this tournament. And hopefully him coming off the bench and ho- hopefully he can get his mojo back because he just didn't have it this yep. campaign. It was weird because he had it in the warm-ups and also toward the end of his season with the Trailblazers. Ever since he got traded, he was in a really great spot on the court and then it just didn't happen at this World Cup. Um, so I, he's still he's still on my team. I still think Matisse deserves a spot on this team. I appreciate the, the, the Cotton love um, and I appreciate the, the Vasiljevic love as well. I just think I just think defensively, when you're looking at a lot of what this team lacked and where I think they were beaten, I I don't think these are guys that you can just add right now and all of a sudden, like for example, if those two, if, if any of those these shooters that we mentioned, if they're on the squad, I don't think they play. Like I I think they're end of bench guys. Um, as much as it's cool to say we have a quote unquote another shooter on the team, I, I I really don't think they would get minutes on a team like this. Well, I think they should. That would be my very easy rebuttal to that because again yeah. we've discussed it. Like they did, yeah. CJ didn't in this tournament, but I think that they should, and I think that they. If need Chris to. Golden can't get minutes. That's what that's what I'm saying. If Chris Golden can't get minutes, then none of those guys are because Chris Golding is. I think Chris Golding is a completely fine defender. He's shown that in international ball, and he's shown that throughout the NBL as well. And I think he's a better shooter than those guys. I, I say better shooter, like I think that role he sort of fits in there. Just a little bit more seamlessly, um, and he's bigger than those guys too. So he, can't, I feel like he ticks way more boxes. And if he, so if he can't get minutes, I can't just theoretically. I can't see those guys getting minutes either. That's what I'm saying. No, I'm with you based on what we've seen. That's a, that's exactly how we mm. should all feel. But I'm saying I think it should change next year. And the defensive stuff, I don't think with the talent this this team and this squad is going to have moving forward. If any of those guys were there, and again, I don't think Cotton's going to be there. I would. I would love to entertain that idea. But if you could have a Patty Mills or Bryce on the floor at any time, you've all you've got something that you just haven't had in the past. And a lot of these teams that we look at that are going to go deep into the World Cup, they've got prime time scorers. And you can be a good defensive team, and you can have solid role players, and you can have shooters standing on the on the perimeter. But ultimately, you need guys that can take over games, and he can do that. I don't think it would be a twenty five minute per game role it would be minimalized it would be 12 minutes and it wouldn't be when patty was on the floor so i don't really care too much about your fifth guy like i think you can work around that again i thought that you know scheme wise more than anything there could there would they could be and there will be some changes as this team gets used to each other and uh, probably some lessons learned yeah. from this tournament but i totally appreciate the debate because i still feel the same about paris as i did before this world cup 
when people would throw up different ideas and why they think this should be the team and this person should be there, I think we're going to have endless debates over the next nine months. And for me, at least, I love the fact that the Olympics are going to come up so quickly because now we can immediately move on from the World Cup. The NBA season is going to be here and then we'll be in Paris. So uh, that's nice if you're a basketball fan. Quickly move on and and look ahead to uh, hopefully a more successful Olympic (laughs) campaign. Uh, Yeah. Do you... Are we ready to put our teams forward? Are we doing that right now? For Paris? I I mean, I'd like to. And our producer, Loz, would get upset if we don't. Go go on. Give us your team. I'll have to... uh rejig some stuff here but have a look all right only one of us comes prepared that's fine um so look i'm i'm approaching this with a largely similar team almost a completely exact same team uh i've only made one change and that is uh ben simmons comes in for nick k this is this is what i'm changing uh I I imagine, let's say Ben Simmons has a good NBA season. I imagine he starts at the four. Um, and again, everything is hypothetical with Ben. It just necessarily is when it comes to the boomers. So let's just treat this as though he's playing and let's just do the exercise. Um, I, I imagine he starts at the four. Xavier Cooks as, a, as the backup four and, and a small ball five. Ben Simmons can be a small ball five. You can go into that switching lineup, that Gorgian talks about ad nauseum and when it, if all those guys are there that would be an awesome switchy lineup um the change i make is i have patty mills coming off the bench uh i'm starting giddy at the one i'm starting uh dante exum at the two i'm starting josh green at the three so i've got giddy exum green simmons landale now my reasoning behind this is i feel like everyone has this perception of dante exum uh, based on the Dante Exum prospect that we all sort of watched grow in in from the 2014 draft up, get drafted by the Jazz injury, uh, the sort of the slasher, the creator, the first step. Um, he's been an elite shooter at the Euro level for the past two seasons. Uh, he uh, averaged 3.4 three-point attempts uh, in this tournament shot 40, 47% on those attempts. Uh, if I look at, and again, this is these are all small sample size, but it's all we've got when it comes to this tournament. Uh, Josh Green was 45.5% from three on 2.2 attempts a game, again, small. But the idea of having these guys as the ones stretching the floor for Josh Giddy uh, is something that I like. I think we should lean into Dante Exum more as a shooter, as a wing shooter. It gives you a secondary creator as well. So I think you have three solid shooters out there, whatever Jock Landale is as a shooter. I think there's obviously potential there because of how we've seen him shoot over the course of his career. Hasn't been great in the NBA, but at the, at the FIBA level, in FIBA basketball, he's been, he's been a really solid shooter. I think there's spacing there. I think that's a good defensive lineup. You're not switching in that lineup. Obviously, you have Jock Landale. You sort of trust his size and his ability to move his feet in, in sort of drops or whatever you want. Um, and that's what I like. And then you then you have just versatility off the bench when it comes to Dyson Daniels, 
Patty Mills is a gunner, someone who comes in is, is just a specialist, a shooter, someone who just gets to his spots, catch and shoot. I don't want him handling the ball too much. I thought he was sloppy with his handle throughout this tournament. Um, I like Dyson Daniels in an increased role. I like Joe Ingles in a sort of uh, like an evolved role in the, in the sense of I want that to evolve in a way where he is asked just to be a catch and shoot guy. Uh, I want his role diminished in the sense of I want him going from the 20 some odd minutes he played in this tournament down to 10 to 14 some odd minutes. That's what I want. And then I want to do a brief back in this lineup. And then, yeah, my last spot goes to Chris Golding because I think he should play. I think, I think there's room for him, especially when playing these Euro teams, guys, he can guard. Um, and then he can go out there and be that bomber. This is, this is my team, the exact same team, but with Ben Simmons in for Nick K. Yeah, I've got a starting five. I don't have a full squad, so uh, I, I've got Patty Mills starting. Uh, like I, I think that again, sure. Um, you can very easily overlook the impact he has on the opposition defense by just being on the floor. I don't, even though Josh Green and Dante Exum clearly have taken major steps in their in their shooting, and at times look like confident shooters. Uh, they're getting wide, wide, wide open looks. Patty Mills isn't afforded that opportunity. And I think uh, by having the defense glued to him the whole time, I think it opens up the Australian offense overall. As I said, he still led the team in in plus minus, either on, a, on an average per game basis or total plus minus for the whole tournament, which tells you that when he was on the floor and the groupings that were with Patty Mills, it wasn't necessarily hurting the team defensively. And they were able to function and and play good basketball. So I just think Patty Mills is still so critical. I think he has to play a major role. And whether or not he leads the team in minutes again, that's up for debate. But I still think he's going to be a 25-plus minute guy, I would assume. Yeah, and like again, I don't I don't hate it. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's mainly for me, like I don't think Patty Mills should be leading this team in minutes. Uh I, I don't I just don't think that's a sustainable way to play basketball. Um, the same with Joe Ingles. I don't think Joe Ingles should be playing significant minutes. There's definitely roles for these guys. I think their shooting, their spot-up shooting is super important, especially if you're going to lean into the creation of Gideon, the athleticism of this team. Um, and, a, and a big guy like Jock Landau, who I think will be really prominent on both ends. Um, I think they're really important. I just think their roles just have to be narrow and, and sort of specialized. Um, I, again, I don't, I don't hate the idea of Patty starting. I just don't want him to play like crazy starters minutes. Uh, this will be something that I'm sure we're going to debate over the next nine months because I, I still, you haven't been able to convince me over the last 45 minutes that that should be the case. So uh, I think we leave this World <laughs> Cup, we leave this World Cup with plenty of questions. And it, it's sad that it's over because it was exciting. It's fun. And it's just awesome every second night when you get to see all these NBA guys together in the green and gold. So not what they wanted to achieve. Nobody's going to be more disappointed than the boomers right now. Uh, but nonetheless... I still had a lot of fun watching this team. I had a lot of fun watching and reading your coverage in Japan. Uh, please get home safely, Oggs. We need you over here because, uh, let's face it, the NBL Blitz is only really a few days away. Then the NBL season is going to start Stop the NBA. It. So enjoy your, I don't know, what you have uh, 26 hours off or something like that. Then get back to work, please. <laughs> I will. I'm not. It's. It's. I, I tell everyone this, but we're going from this to the Blitz, yep. to the start of the NBL season, which then bleeds into the NBA season. We yep. have the NBL playoffs, NBA playoffs, the draft, the Olympics. Yep. Uh, so it's just nonstop basketball for the next like 11 months. And so that's going to be really fun. Um, God help me. 
Uh, I love the, I, yeah, that's right. I love this chat uh, because, yeah, we agree a lot of the times. I think we see a lot of uh, the game in, in a similar way or certainly the storylines and, and the way we approach it. So it's fun when we disagree from time to time. And I think that people listening, some people will think I'm an idiot. Some people will think, uh, Alts, you're maybe a little silly. I wouldn't say as strong as an idiot. They wouldn't say that about you. But I think that this is exactly what they we might, should want might. for this Boomers team. Uh, we should want these debates and we should want these uh, stories about Australian basketball. So this has been a lot of fun. Uh, as I said, you get home safe. Everyone, hopefully you enjoyed the FIBA World Cup and the coverage. And don't worry, it's still going. We're going to have a quarterfinal, a semifinal and a final live on ESPN with World Cup Live pregame show and postgame show. And uh, some good news, the big fella, Andrew Gaze, he's going to be back in studio. He's done and dusted. He's done his duties in arena. And he's going to have more energy than any human in the history of Earth. So it's going to be a lot of fun with Andrew Gaze on the coverage. Make sure you watch it on ESPN. Keep up to date with all the stories and the fallout from the World Cup and then leading into our NBL coverage as well at ESPN.com.au. And for Olga Norwich and myself, Kane Pittman, this has been a good one. We'll speak to you next time.